This is Genesis chapter 4. Adam knew his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I've brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor, favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied, am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. And today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod. East of Eden. There's a children's company called The Land of Nod. It makes little cute toys for kids. And yet The Land of Nod is the place where God banished Cain to live in exile after he murdered his little brother. It's kind of messed up as a company, don't you think? I have four boys who live in my house. They are all my sons. And... They are eight and six and four and two. And sometimes in the middle of the night, I wake up to someone screaming. And the best case scenario is that someone is screaming because he is scared. And because then I can just go up and comfort him and put him back to bed again. Sometimes they wake up because they get hurt. And that's kind of annoying because I say, get back in your bed. Why are you out of your bed? If you were in your bed, you wouldn't get hurt. Sometimes I wake up and they're screaming because they're having fun around the house. And that's a little bit annoying because I'd like to be sleeping. But it's nice they're having fun. But the worst type of screaming is when they're screaming at each other. The other morning we were on vacation and I was trying to sleep in until like (laughs) 7. And I'm awoken to the sound of the word mine. Try to keep my eyes closed. And I hear, no, mine. I'm like, all right. 
starting to understand what Cain did to Abel. And I, I go up out of my bed and I, I find one of my sons, my six-year-old son, is laying on the couch with this big like down throw blanket, like in a little ball between his legs. And his four-year-old brother is like pulling at the blanket, like mine, mine, mine. And like, hey, good morning. What's going on? Apparently, my four-year-old son offered to get a blanket for my six-year-old son. And he pulled it out of the little place where the blankets are, and he draped it over my six-year-old son, and then yanked it away. Said, mine. And so my six-year-old son is like, hey, you were getting that for me. And he yanks it back. says, mine. And then they start this tug of war. And then the six-year-old finally just grabs it, balls it up between his legs where it's not keeping him nor his brother warm. And they are just screaming, mine, at each other. If you have siblings, you might understand the dynamic that happened in my household. And in Genesis chapter 4, we learn that sibling rivalry existed from the first family in the world. I grew up with a little sister, and she was four years younger than me. And so I think brothers, if you have a bunch of brothers or sisters, if you have a bunch of sisters, you fight and fight and fight. My sister and I didn't fight that much. I hear that I tormented her quite a bit. According to her, which I don't, I don't know if that's a reliable source or not, you know. See, it still continues. It still continues. I know that she had a hard time growing up because she felt like wherever she went, I was there first. And so she'd show up at band or whatever in high school and say, oh, you're Danny Strange's little sister. So then she goes to a different, oh, you're Danny Strange's little sister. And then she's like, ah, she goes to church. Like, oh, Danny Strange's little sister. At one point, she decided she's going to move away and just get away from this whole image thing. She moves to Portland to go to school, walks into school, meets the admissions officer who opens her file and says, are you Danny Strange's little sister? (laughs) And I'm not famous at all, at any level, in any context, And I start to feel for little siblings in here because you might start feeling like you're always under your older brother or your older sister's shadow. My sister's an elementary school teacher now, and now that I work as the young family's pastor here at the church, people come into my class all the time, and and it's their first time at the church, and they hear me introduce myself, and they come up to me and they say, are you Mallory Strange's older brother? I'm like, yeah, all right, all right. She's got a little... She's got a little, she's coming back at me now. She's, she's planting these things. Cain and Abel had sibling rivalry, and it, it's the story that sparks all the other stories. One that unfortunately was not just about banter and back and forth, but one that caused bitterness that led to death. Cain was the firstborn. The firstborn son of all time. Adam and Eve have this child, and Eve says, With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. This curse that existed that Mark talked to us last week in the Garden of Eden where man and women would war against each other and yet God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And so they have their first child, Cain, a son, and Eve says, the Lord has brought this son to this planet and then they have another son, Abel. And Abel tends flocks and Cain works the soil. And Cain one day takes some of his fruits that he's cultivated from the soil and he brings them to the Lord as an offering. And Abel, I don't know where they got this practice. This is before the law. This is before people did this. It's before people started to call in the name of the Lord. 
Abel kind of looked at his brother Cain and said, okay, that's what we do in our family. And so he slaughtered one of his animals from his flock and he brought the meat to the Lord and he offered it as a sacrifice to the Lord. Some of the the best meat of the firstborn of his flock. And Genesis 4 records that the Lord looked with favor on the little brother's sacrifice, but he did not look with favor on the older brother's sacrifice. And for millennia, people have said, why? Why did God not like Cain's sacrifice? I think the reason we ask why is because sometimes we feel like we're coming before the Lord and he's just not accepting it. We pray and we don't get answers. We try to talk to him and it feels like it's just not resonating. We try to make good decisions, but our circumstances fall apart. We try to fix relationships, they get worse. And we feel like God is not looking favorably on what we're doing for him. And so we resonate with Cain because Cain brings a sacrifice and the Lord does not look upon it favorably. And so we read that story and we say, why? God, why? What did Cain do wrong? It's because God likes meat more than fruit. Is that what? Was there something wrong in Cain's heart and and Abel had a pure heart? Is God just arbitrary and sometimes he likes stuff and sometimes he doesn't? God, why are you not looking favorably upon my sacrifices? I've sacrificed so much for you, God, and my life still is like this. And I've left everything to follow you and look what my family is going through. Why? Genesis doesn't tell us why. And Cain doesn't ask why. And Cain gets bitter. It says that Cain's face becomes downcast and he's angry with his brother, with the Lord. And he just, just feels it. I wonder if Cain did know what was wrong. You know, God goes to Cain and he says, Cain, if you do what is right, you will be accepted. But Cain's face is downcast. You know, sometimes when life's not going the way that we want it to go or the way that we feel like anyone would want it to go, we get bitter. Bitter with our friends, bitter with our family, bitter with our God, and our face becomes downcast. And we have this just scowl on our faces or in our hearts, and it's hard to smile because there's something in us that's just weighting us down. And God comes to Cain and he says, Why, do, why is your face downcast? God's scared for Cain. Because Cain is bitter, and bitterness is dangerous. And bitterness is like a cesspool where the scary things of mosquitoes and bacteria start to grow in our lives. And if you go through Alcoholics Anonymous, you learn that H-A-L-T, HALT acronym. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired, that these are times in our lives when we experience hunger or we're angry or we feel lonely or we're tired that our guards need to be up because we can go into bad things when we're hungry. Some of you understand that. When we're lonely, we can make bad decisions. When we're angry, we can act 
impetuously and when we're tired we can say things that we know we shouldn't say and we can fall back into behaviors that we said we wanted to stop falling into and and so we halt when we're hungry and we're angry and we're lonely and we're tired and God says to Cain, Cain, why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, you'll be accepted but sin is crouching at your door and and it wants you you have to rule over it last week Mark talked a little bit about that word uh, that exists between husbands and wives Uh, that this wife will have this desire for her husband and he will rule over her that that's part of the curse That if you're a husband, that you're going to be tempted to just pound your authority over your wife or to pound your strength over your wife or to do things that men shouldn't do to their wives. That that's part of the curse that broken relationships come when men just want to just go after their wives and look down upon them. And he says, wives, you will desire for your husband. You're going to want your husband and yet he's going to war against you. And this relationship is battling because of Genesis 3. And we see in Genesis 4, for those same two concepts explored that sin desires Cain. Sin wants him. Sin wants to take Cain down when he's bitter and his face is downcast and he's at that place where he's susceptible to sin. Sin desires him, but God says, Cain, you've got to rule over it. The same way that you're tempted in a bad way to rule over your wife, you need to rule over sin and take it down. And not let it get you. Sin's a scary thing. And sin comes after us, especially when we're hungry or angry or lonely or tired or bitter. It wants to destroy us. It puts thoughts in our minds that seem good to us when we're bitter. But when we wake up the next morning, we pull out our phone to see what we texted. And sin desires us. Those of you who have experienced bad things you've fallen into again and again and again, you know that that's the struggle is that sin desires to tear you down and you have to fight to not give it the authority over you. If you read the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about sin like this poison that gets into us. He says, I need you to understand that anger or murder or adultery isn't the root of all sin, it's that poison inside of it. That it's lust, this little seed of sin that desires to take you down. You have to deal with that. That it's not just murder, but when you're angry, it's that little root of poison that comes into your life and starts driving you towards murder. God, of course, is interested in murder. But when he talks to Cain, he says, Cain, why is your face downcast? Sin is coming after you. Look your face up. Do what is right. And you'll be accepted. Cain, you're so bitter that your sacrifice was not accepted. If you want it to be accepted, just do the right thing. It seems that Cain knew what the right thing to do was. But he was pushing it out of his mind. And sometimes when we're bitter with God, we're angry with God. We feel like God has rejected us and we don't know why. Sometimes we do know why. (laughs) We just pretend to not know about it. God, why are you forsaking me? God, I'm doing everything that you want me to do. 
And you know there's one thing in your life that he wants you to let go of or go after or stop doing or start doing. And you don't want to talk about that. You just want to be mad at him. And God says, why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, you'll be accepted. If you confess your sins and pray for one another, you'll be healed. You know that all you need to do is tell another believer what you're struggling with and let them pray with you and you'll be released from it, but you refuse to and you get angry at me. Sin desires to have you. You need to rule over it. If you do what is right, you will be accepted. And we know the thing that we need to do that's right is bring it to him. And he's faithful and just. He'll forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We don't have to do anything to earn his favor. Doing what is right is releasing it to him and being honest. But sometimes it's easier to be bitter than honest, even though it destroys us. So Cain, instead of listening to the Lord and doing what is right, and doing whatever he needs to do to bring an acceptable sacrifice to the Lord and repenting of whatever sin he's committing. He turns to his little brother and says, come with me into the field. And it kills him. And Cain plays out this next scene a lot like Adam and Eve in the garden where God comes down and says, Cain, where's your brother? And makes up a story. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I in charge of my brother? And God says, King, your brother's blood speaks out to me from the ground. I created this dirt. I created you out of this dirt. And you put your brother into it. And you poured his blood and desecrated the soil that I called you to cultivate and steward with your life. So he escalates the curse in Cain's life. The curse is that when you work the soil with thorns and thistles, you'll bring forth fruit. God says, Cain, when you work the soil, nothing will happen. No plants will come up. For the rest of your life, everything you do will fight against you and no fruit will come. It seems like a really bitter judgment and some of us feel like we're in that judgment where we've made one wrong decision, we've walked from the Lord and nothing works anymore. We get fired from our jobs. We get broken up with. We can't find what we need to find. And everything we do is warring against us. And we get madder and madder and madder at God. And we say, God, this is too much for me. I'm going to die if you let me live like this. Cain says the same thing to God. This punishment is too much for me to bear. If I'm wandering the earth, it's almost like God has taken Cain and thrown him out on the streets to wander. And Cain says the streets are a dangerous place to wander. God says, I'm not going to let you die. I'm going to put my mark on you. It will protect you. And no one's going to touch you. If anyone touches you, they will be destroyed by me. And so he sends Cain off, and Cain leaves the dirt that he was cultivating. And he starts to build his life for himself somewhere else. Now, we read this story about Cain, and we understand what God is doing with him. It's not like Cain has been blindsided and a victim in this whole thing, and God is just squashing him. This Cain has done a heinous thing, murdered his own brother, and God has kicked him out of the soil and said, I'm going to save you as you start this new life. And that echo of what God said, if you do what is right, you'll be accepted, is still in our minds. Cain 
What will you do with this new life God has given you? What will you do with these new circumstances that you have? And some of us have been wandering in our lives for a long time, and we feel like God has rejected us. Those echoes of God's word that if you do what is right, you'll be accepted should resonate in our minds through this text that all we need to do is turn back, turn back to God, and he'll bring us back together again. And even though we might find ourselves in a new place, a foreign place, a place that we never thought we'd be in a place in this world or a place in our lives that we don't think was ever our ideal, God can build us up there and create a new life for us in the land of Nod. Cain's in the land of Nod and he starts to build a family for himself. Has a couple wives. It's kind of an interesting thing for him to do. Has some kids. And one of his kids was a, a, a boy named Lamech. It's interesting, the story lands on this Lamech character. This grandson or son of Cain who is told to murder someone and then go to his wives and brag about it. And Lamech comes to his wives and says, I've killed a man for coming after me. I've slaughtered a young man for messing with me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech is avenged 77 times. And Jesus talks to his disciples and says, you need to forgive people 77 times. And what happens to Cain's family is the the legacy of his sin and his rebellion becomes their identity. And this whole ordeal with Cain should have been the the redemptive thread in their family. Where Cain goes to his kids and says, children, I did a terrible thing. I killed my brother Abel. And that shows us that there is sin inside all of us. And yet if we come to the Lord, we can find forgiveness from that. And the only reason I'm here today is because God has protected me. I should be dead, wandering the earth, but God kept his hand on me because he had plans for me. That's what Cain should have said to his children. But instead, the legacy of Cain was No one messes with us because God protects us when we kill people. And their shame became their identity. And some of you are in families where the same thing has happened. And you've got a long history in your family of anger and rage and tempers and bitterness And instead of your family saying, we need to repent of this and and clean up our lives and let God use us, your family have said, no one messes with us. We'll take you down if you mess with us. The story of Cain and Abel, the scariest thing in it for me is that when you sin and don't deal with it, it does not just ruin your life. It ruins generation upon generation of your descendants for years to come. And yet God's call to Cain is if you do what is right, you will be accepted. Jesus tells a story of two sons, an older son and a a younger son. The younger son is the one who goes off the deep end. 
And he wanders away from the family. And he makes terrible choices. And he finds himself in the land of Nod where he's alone and lonely and squandering his possessions and living with prostitutes and in drunkenness and finds himself at rock bottom in the faraway land. But in Jesus' story, the prodigal son comes to his senses. Instead of letting this identity become his identity, he humbles himself. He says, I'm going to go to the Father, and I'm going to go back home, and I'm going to ask him to bring me back into his family. Not, not, not as a son, but as a slave, because at least I can eat in my father's house. And so the son leaves the faraway land where he's in his own filth and building a terrible identity. And he comes back in humility to the father. And we see the father runs to the son and wraps his arms around him and puts his robe on him and cleans him off and says, You are my son again. You were dead and you're alive again. Jesus tells the story to say, this is the heart of the Father. If you find yourself in a faraway land, if you find yourself one of Cain's descendants who's coming from generation to generation to generation of terrible brokenness and abuse, and the cycle continues, come back to the Father. He will not reject you. He will accept you if you do what is right and simply return to him. And yet in the prodigal son story, The older brother, who's working the field, is filled with bitterness. He can't stand the fact that his younger brother who squandered everything is coming back. And he goes to the father, and when the father invites him to rejoice because the prodigal has returned, he says, I'm not going to that party. He says, all these years I have slaved for you, father. And I've never asked for anything in return. But when that son of yours squanders your possessions on prostitutes and wild living, you kill the fattened calf for him? Father says to the older brother who's working the field, murdering his brother in his heart. Son... I'm always with you. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate because your brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. What happened over those centuries and the millennia is that the religious people became the kings. That the ones murdering their brothers were the ones that were murdering their brothers in their hearts. Seeing the lost in the faraway land, far from God, and saying, serves you right, we do what's right. And the whole time cultivating and marinating bitterness in their hearts because they thought they weren't the sinners. And whether you're a lost son who's in a faraway land or you're a good kid who's here in church and you're angry, the root of the sin is bitterness. And bitterness is a cesspool where the mosquitoes and bacteria of sin can grow. 
If you do what is right, you'll be accepted. If you come to the cross and you lay down your bitterness and you lay down your sin and you lay down your good works and you lay down your pride and you lay down your hatred towards your brother or your self-righteousness over your brother or your shame under your brother and you lay it down before him, he will accept you with open arms because his son was killed by us to forgive us. So whether you're good or you're dirty, rotten, the story's for you. Will you let the bitterness that's dwelling in you destroy you towards sin or towards self-righteousness? Or will you let go of the bitterness and cultivate a heart like the Father? who wants his wayward son to return and wants his religious son to celebrate with the family. Tonight as we take communion, lay your bitterness down. Recognize that the Cain and Abel story wasn't told so that you might know how to please God with your sacrifices. It was told to tell us that bitterness is a poison that can and will destroy us for generations. So if you're mad at God, or you're mad at your brother, or you're mad at the world, lay it down and celebrate that God's anger and wrath was poured out on Jesus instead of you. So that you don't have to pour out your wrath on yourself or anyone or the world anymore. But like Lamech said, 77 times will you bring forgiveness to those who have wronged you. Let's pray together and then let's take communion. Father, I pray for those in this room who are the Cains. Those who have done wrong and found themselves alienated from you. Maybe they're filled with bitterness, rage, or disappointment in themselves, and they find themselves in a distant land far from you, terrified that their choices will affect their kids and grandkids. Pray that you would open their eyes to see that when they come home, and simply start walking towards you. You run after them, clothe them in white, and adopt them as your kids, and place them in your family and in your kingdom again. Let those, do, those people do that tonight. Let them come to you in, in their hearts, in their faith, and with their words, and confess their sin to you. Your word tells us in Isaiah that though our sins be as scarlet, you make them white as snow. Let them let go of their bitterness and their unforgiveness and their rage and their disappointment. Let them hold on to Jesus instead. And for those here tonight who are the religious folks, those who do good, and the bitterness in their hearts is not towards you, it's towards those sinners in the world who claim to know you, and they know that they have a real relationship with you. Show them areas in their life where they are full of pride, 
where they are the Cains in the story, standing in the field where their younger brother departed to a faraway land, and yet they are filled with rage when they see prodigals return. Plead with them like you pled with the older brother in Jesus' story. And invite them into your kingdom and into your party to celebrate when the lost return. And for those in this room who don't know you, they haven't wandered from you because they never knew you, let them come to you tonight. Help them to see that the story of the prodigal son and the faraway land who returned to his father can be their story. That even though they didn't leave you on purpose, they find themselves in a distant place, separated from you. And, and when they simply turn and look to Jesus, who died for them and rose from the grave, they find forgiveness and healing and life and a change, transformation of legacy for generations to come. We pray for people in this room that the decision they make tonight to confess their stuff to you and come back would not just affect their weak, but would affect their great-grandchildren's eternal lives. As you transform legacies, as we simply do what is right and allow you to take our sin away and clothe us in your righteousness. Pray that you would give us the right perspective on our lives as we take communion tonight. We pray these things in Jesus' name.